This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in European Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Tim Jones, and this is the second of three interviews with authors of New Books in English about Hungary's 10-year evolution away from liberal democracy under Prime Minister Viktor Orban. My discussion with Gabel Schering about his retreat of liberal democracy was released on the European Studies channel on January the 14th, and my interview with Lesser Skut about his Orban land will be out in March. But today it's the turn of Andras Kurosheni, the author together with Gabor Iash and Attila July of the Orban Regime, Plebiscitary Leader Democracy in the Making, published in 2020 by Routledge. Andras is a senior research fellow at the Center for Social Sciences and professor of political science at Corvinus University in Budapest. He is the author of 14 books, five in English, and has also been a research fellow in Vienna, Heidelberg, Harvard, Leiden and Oxford. Andras, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for the invitation. At the core of your book is an argument that Viktor Orban and his regime fit nicely into a leadership model set out by Max Weber more than 100 years ago. And this is something he called plebiscitary leader democracy, or we'll call it PLD from now on. In fact, you write that um, early on, you, you say, uh, quote, the Orban regime has turned out to be a natural laboratory for studying PLD. Can you explain the features of PLD and why it beats other frameworks in describing this regime? Uh, well, yes, I, um, I try to do this. But I think the, probably the major or crucial trait of PLD is a different relation between political leaders and, and followers, leaders and citizens. And the 20th century democracies, while in, by and large we may call them party democracies or re- representative democracies, parliamentary democracies, where there was an, an important filter between citizens and, and leaders and institutions between citizens and leaders and our whole imagination about democracy that is a kind of bottom-up process and uh, political parties and uh, parliaments uh, had a crucial role in this bottom-up process throughout the 20th century and the parties connected citizens uh, and the state and, and, and government and uh, that was a kind of intermediation, a filter, one hand a filter, and on the other hand, political parties uh, uh, represented the demands of, the, of certain social groups 
and then the society as a whole. And the uh, first, first major trait of plebiscitary leader democracy is a direct link between political leaders and citizens. And this, this direct, that, that, that is in some way a consequence of various uh, parallel trends which uh, were taken place in, in democracies from the last two decades of the 20th century and, and uh, by the third of the millennium it, it became clear and there was some literature on that and it, this process includes the, the fall of the or decline of political parties, parliaments, uh, uh, end of strong party loyalty and stability of the party system. So the, a process of de-alignment, more volatile electoral behavior of citizens. And, and this, this process uh, produced a kind of personalization of politics. At the beginning of, of this century, there was a, a concept in, in political science called presidentialization of Euro democracies. And that was meant that, that uh, the European parliamentary democracies became so personalized like the American presidential system that the political leaders became uh, the center figure of the political uh, electoral campaigns, uh, unlike in the previous century where they were the political parties and the party manifestos and uh, political leaders, the incumbent leaders emerge as a, a stronger figure within the executive power and, and also they preside their political party so that that uh, previously parties had leaders but it was told by the literature that that uh, by now uh, political leaders uh, have parties and so that's this whole process the sense of personalization the emergence of charismatic politicians and to a large extent uh, or some extent it is a general phenomenon, and uh, uh, and this kind of there are the literature says, for example, Jeffrey Green's uh, book uh, from 2010, the eyes of the people. That there is a plebiscitary era, plebiscitary uh, era in in democracy, which means uh, citizens became just an audience of what's going on on the political stage, what leaders uh, perform, uh, do, and, and their, uh, watch their struggle, and then they either applaud them or reject them. And so that's a, that's a kind of yes or vote, no. So that's why it is a plebiscitary type of uh, relationship. Uh, and so this is one part of the story. And there's another part that is more, well, local, I mean, Hungarian or how and, and uh, the problem of uh, de-democratization or, or uh, democratic backslide and the major major approach of the literature how to uh, how to grasp how to analyze uh, this process and the major the, the mainstream of the literature is this what we call the hybrid regime use the hybrid regime approach. And uh, uh, we were, well, the hybrid regime approach 
which regards liberal democracy as a kind of ideal politics and you know, political regimes. And uh, the hybrid regime approach compare any regime to an ideal of liberal democracy. And the focus of this approach to find out the difference, the traits, the deviations from liberal democratic ideal. And it is, and it is a sort of uh, well, theological approach which set up a unique, unidimensional scale and uh, situate all regimes on this scale from the one end where the liberal democracies are and the other end where closed authoritarian regimes or dictatorships and, and the hybrid regimes are uh, between the ideal types and, and, and in, in the middle, in the gray zone. But it is a quite large, this gray zone is so wide and so large that uh, sometimes the differences among these uh, gray zone regimes are more uh, or, 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 or larger than the difference to liberal democracy or to authoritarian regimes. And so this is a, a useful approach if we are looking for the difference from liberal democracy and, and uh, this literature characterizes why, well, Orbán's Hungary or, or, or uh, other regimes, how it is, what is the difference to a liberal democratic ideal and uh, but it is a kind of negative characterization so that uh, it's, uh, it's a list that uh, the rule of law is uh, violated the elections are well free but not fair and, and things like that is a kind of negative characterization so we uh, know much about to which extent it is not liberal democracy but we know much less about how this kind of regimes and how Orbán's Hungary really look like and really works, but is its own modus operandi, but is different from liberal democracy, but the hybrid regime approach doesn't say what is this logic. So we were dissatisfied with this mainstream literature, and that's why, sorry, it was a little bit long, uh, that's, that's why we uh, try to find a different framework to, but, and, and we found Max Weber's conceptual framework useful to understand and to describe and analyze a certain type of regimes in this green zone and then the Hungarian uh, Orban, the Orban regime. Yeah, b- before I started reading the book, I was um, skeptical really about the title, the, 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 this idea of the plebiscitary leader model. I mean, I think he's. I think he's only called. Well, he's only called one referendum. I think while he's been prime minister, and he was instrumental in calling another when he was in opposition. But you, you explain the thinking behind this, um, the idea of of elections themselves uh, having a plebiscitary nature, um, and you say, for example. Um, Quotes, elections are regarded as an authorization to embody the will of the people. And, and s- several of the elections, for example, the one in 2014, um, there was no manifesto. I mean, similar to, to, the, uh, to the Republican um, election campaign in the United States this year, uh, sorry, last year. Um, and really, the, the campaign was simply on, on a slogan of we continue. And that the election campaigns are basically marked by huge posters of of the prime minister, and then Fidesz 
that his his party is only brought into the into the campaign at, at the last minute. Um, so it, it it did make a lot more a lot more sense in that respect. We we claim it in the book that uh, elections uh, became and the representation became this type of plebiscitary representation and plebiscitary type of election approval or rejection of a leader. So this is this way it became a yes or no uh, elections, but. Uh, but it is not just referendums that were really only one referendum. And uh, actually, the Orban regime and the, 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 newly, uh, the new constitution of Hungary uh, accepted in the 2011 uh, under the Orban regime is uh, weakened, actually weakened the institution of referendum comparing to the previous constitution. So that so that was there was a shift away from uh, referendum uh, where citizens uh, and and associations had a chance to initiate the referendum, to carry to push through a certain initiative uh, for a national uh, referendum and then the direct decision by the people so that it actually it, it it was it was vacant and so that uh, referendum but it was used uh, only only once and and it is a it has a plebiscitary nature plebiscitarism also means that uh, uh, the the issue is is uh, provided and and given for for the referendum or for citizens' choice by the executive or by the uh, by the ruler, by the uh, by the government or by the legislature, so that uh, and this also uh, highlights that kind of nature that uh, politics is uh, very much formed and shaped by political leaders. Uh, and uh, uh, citizens are only passive audience of this uh, uh, performance, and and they may they may approve it or or reject it. And and the citizens' choice this way became a kind of uh, legitimacy uh, legitimacy uh, measure, and uh, that's also. Um, instead of referendums, but but uh, instead of uh, in the Orban regime, there was a special kind of uh, uh, be, I, I would say informal referendum was introduced. That is the so-called national consultations, where the government, uh, like in referendums, the government uh, uh, ask questions, send uh, these questions to citizens through postal service and the citizens may uh, reply filling out a questionnaire uh, about a potential uh, government uh, policy about uh, well, social welfare program or, or uh, reduction of, of utility prices or migration uh, or economic policy or family policy, and so that that is a, a means of the government 
means of the regime to gain legitimacy, to, to gain approval of the people. And uh, this, this is one aspect why elections and, and well, this is not a formal referendum and that it makes even more uh, well strange measure and, and, and uh, uh, it, it, but it makes it even more characteristic that it is a kind of authoritarian measure to gain legitimacy. But on the other hand, also a kind of uh, well, mobilization uh, of the citizens behind the government's policy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Do you think, um, do you think his, the scale of his victory in 2010 was crucial to the development of this regime? I mean, there was this leaked speech from the uh, former prime minister, um, Ferenc Georgian, that really undermined the legitimacy of the previous government and meant that uh, Orban in Fidesz was able to win this two-thirds majority, which has enabled him to carry out what you call almost constant constitution-making. Without that, he wouldn't have been able to. So do you think that that victory in 2010, if, if he had just won by two seats, we would have a very different Orban regime today? I think so, yes. Yes, that was, uh, well, it, it, it even, it is clear why it is so, that, that technically uh, a, a two-mandate majority uh, would have not been enough for constitutional changes and uh, changes of uh, many uh, so-called uh, two-third legislation so that were where uh, uh, qualitative majority is necessary, two-third majorities, two-third majorities necessary for legislation. There were in, even in the previous constitution many, uh, even policy issues, not just institutional and regulatory issues. The policy issues uh, belong to this category, and this uh, the landslide. So the landslide victory provided. Uh, a constitutional uh, constitutional majority for for Orbán, and through a very disciplined political parliamentary group of the Fidesz, it 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 uh, worked uh, automatically. Uh, so the decision or or will of the leader was made uh, is was automatically uh, executed by by a very disciplined parliamentary. Group that very usually that was the government, but also not the government, but there were private member bills, uh, especially between 2010 and 2014. Many initiatives of Orban and the Fidesz uh, was introduced to the parliament uh, by private member bills, and this this way they were able to avoid uh, certain constraints in the. Uh, procedure in the, in the debate of the uh, 
of the bill and, and made it more efficient and, and uh, swept away the opposition uh, this way. So that, okay, so first, uh, the this two-third majority, and secondly, that maybe even more important, that the landslide victory uh, provided a, a, a very strong legitimacy for Orbán's uh, uh, ambition and, and uh, uh, Orbán's regime change. So uh, this legitimacy, the, the legitimacy of the regime change, the legitimacy of the, the uh, accomplishment of a new constitution and, and, and uh, that was uh, extended or, or uh, strengthened by a third factor and that is the political, political discourse, that is the political narrative that Orban used and uh, through, this land, through the landslide victory, the two-third majority, the new constitution, uh, he was able to uh, he was able to produce a, a very very strong division uh, at Cesura uh, from the previous period, from the pre pre period between 1990 and 2010 and this previous period what was regarded as uh, well, the new democratic period of Hungary became in this narrative uh, a kind of uh, ambiguous, uh, vague, suspicious uh, period uh, where the democratic transition was not uh, carried out completely, uh, where uh, the post-communist politicians and, and the Socialist Party and, and post-communist politicians like Ferenc Gyurcsán in, in 2006 were able to uh, divert the whole development uh, through electoral uh, manipulations uh, what, what was the, the bomb, political bomb in the, when it was leaked in 2006, Yurchan's speech, in which he admitted that uh, they lied and manipulated the uh, figures uh, in the electoral campaign and, and previously. So that, what is, so that the 2010 election, I think that was a crucial for, for, uh, in this regime change and, and, and without this landslide, well, there may have been also something something different, but but uh, the two-third majority and the two then the two-third majority again four years later and again four other years later uh, that that was a, a feedback. So uh, it the Hungarian electorate may have rejected this uh, uh, Orbán's regime reconstruction uh, in 2014, but that, that actually did not happen, so that, that, that uh, regained the Tucson majority and strengthened the legitimacy even more. And 2018, 
even more. So that that uh, is really uh, a very strong and very robust, uh, um, robust uh, uh, way of of of, of uh, uh, restructuring of the political landscape, the political discourse, the political landscape, uh, the political institutions, and 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 beyond all of this political sphere, uh, social relations and, and economic relations, uh, mm. uh, including a robust elite change initiative carried out by, uh, by uh, under Orban, Orban's leadership during these 10 years. Yeah, it, one thing that I fa- have found puzzling looking not only at Orban but other similar um, leaders is that given given the he had so much power that that developed from 2010 onwards and that he has done so much to to reshape the cultural discourse the institutions and so on underlying that appears to be a lack of ultimate strategy and you introduced two concepts in, in in the book that I think really help to understand this. The first is this. Um, the the other thinker, apart from Max Weber, you 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 uh, look at is Karl Schmidt, the the very controversial German uh, political thinker, and this idea of the primacy of politics and that the main role of uh, of of politics is to, is to uh, to have the capacity to act to, to the freedom of room for for the leader to 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 shape uh, institutions and shape uh, policy which by the way reminded me quite a lot of a French politician of Hungarian descent Nicolas Sarkozy that that was absolutely his his way of thinking and the other is this idea you introduce of, of bricolage so a lack of strategy, but finding things that work. And you say, you say, uh, quote, leadership in the Orban regime is much more dependent on the next step than the sum of the steps ahead. Can you elaborate on this idea and, and why it is you think there is this lack of strategy to, uh, to the Orban regime? Yes, yeah, so there, there is some kind of, paradox or, or, or a contradiction here that it is often uh, told that uh, well the Orban's regime is, is has a, some robust right-wing uh, nationalist or, or conservative ideology and, and uh, we shape everything into a certain very specific direction according to the master plan and, and 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 the opposite, so that there is no no master plan, ad hoc decisions, completely unpredictable, uh, incoherent incoherent uh, policy in every policy era, and, and by and large as well, and and uh, so the lack of strategy and there's this pragma- there's a pragmatism that, uh, but maybe. Uh, Summarized in the slogan that the rule of the moment, the rule of the moment, that that's the uh, basic principle of of, of Orbán's uh, leadership. So this uh, this contradiction that that uh, disturbed us very much during the time that we were working on this book, and and uh, it, 
it was not not easy to to solve how what uh, what is the real relation between these because both both seems uh, correct and and I think both uh, are correct uh, to some extent but 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 then how what is the relation or the relation is that that we uh, emphasize in the book that. Uh, That there is no no coherent uh, policy in in public policy level. There is no coherent policy in in economic policy or in education policy or in social policy. If each within each policy areas there are incoherences, unorthodox measures, heterodox measures, uh, partly uh, etatist measures. On the other hand, uh, extremely uh, neoliberal measures like the flat tax, personal income tax, and, and things like that. So that, um, so sometimes the Orban regime is uh, accused to be uh, etatist and attended and 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 uh, uh, like hyper centralization, but on the other hand, but, but right now there is a program that the higher education is, uh, uh, but it's a state uh, state regulated and state owned higher education is is private is under privatization or will be partly already privatized. Uh, my university has been privatized, or so the other universities will be also privatized, but not uh, to private owners, but to foundations established by the uh, state, and, and this way the link between the central uh, education policy and the, and the university will be cut some way. Uh, but in the uh, curatorium of these foundations there will be, uh, well, urban loyalists, uh, or, or most of them. So, okay, so that how to are they compatible this this the master plan or the or the pragmatic policy? So we um, we try to explore in the book so that on a public policy level there are no coherent policy paradigms, but. Uh, at a larger level of abstraction, there are some kind of uh, coherence. Orban has some kind of vision. There are charismatic politicians usually uh, have a vision, and, and this vision is uh, the core of this vision is very important for the core supporters of Orban and Fidesz. So that the uh, and this vision. Includes uh, uh, well the national emphasis, emphasis on national sovereignty, the freedom fight against multinational firms, against Brussels, uh, freedom fights against the network of George Soros, uh, fight against uh, the uh, inner allies, the opposition politicians who allied with these international interests and international. Uh, Actors and uh, well, Christian and conservative values, 
the other the regime support the churches very much the historical churches uh, and uh, so that and, and and also a kind of uh, uh, even the elite change that I mentioned that uh, sometimes seems to be quite rude when uh, appointees or or, or uh, officials leading officials of, of certain institutions in within the public sphere are uh, dismissed and and uh, uh, replaced by Fidesz loyalists and and uh, this this process began well, in the economy and in the state administration and and uh, after 2018 it it uh, go ahead in the cultural sphere more uh, widely or effectively than uh, before and so even this this elite changes is uh, can be put into some kind of coherent vision uh, it, and the role of the city changes to uh, to develop uh, a national conservative right-wing elite in every sphere of the society but was in reality missing before 2010 so uh, after the democratic transition in 1990, or even after the turn of the century, the, uh, the majority of the elite uh, regarding their values uh, that was liberal or, or left-leaning, uh, and regarding their party preferences, they were either liberals or, or socialists. And, uh, that uh, and and yeah, the media is also important here. So that the media elite, that was especially perspective, the mass media and the media elite. And uh, but after the loss of the election of two thousand two, Orban uh, was first the prime minister between. 1998 and 2002, and after the loss of the election in 2002, during the eight years of opposition, we began to build up a media network, a right-leaning media network that was missing before, uh, step by step. So by 2010, it was it was important, and and then later, from 2010 onwards, it was able to. Uh, uh, taken the uh, public media under its control as well, and, and also in the uh, privately owned media uh, pushed further the, the widening of his influence. So that uh, so there is a, a kind of vision uh, about as a sovereign Hungary in in within. Mm. European Union, but within the European Union, which is not a federalist European Union, but a union of independent nation states, and uh, and Hungary is first, so that is it is this. Uh, we we found that it is not nationalism or conservatism, but is some kind of. Uh, uh, 
overarching ideological trait of the regime, but a, a certain kind of realism, which, which sounds like that uh, it is the interest of the it, it is the interest of the country or interest of the Hungarian nation. Many policy steps, the opening to the east, the special relation with Russia, the special relation with China, all of these. Uh, policy decisions and, and the policy are uh, ju uh, justified that uh, it is in the in the national interest and and in and in national interests uh, enjoy a priority against uh, principles and values uh, what one of the big sorry one of the big advantages he has had um, and you could argue that he's he's helped uh, create this has been the the, the division of the opposition um, from the end of 2020 the opposition are now united in a joint uh, campaign for the 2022 election do you think there is a chance that uh, this could be the end of the Orban regime next year uh, that that's well, probably that is the most important development in in Hungarian domestic politics of the last couple of years. That's what you raised. So that uh, that technically the stability of of uh, the Orban regime in in uh, the sense of parliamentary majority, based on the division of the opposition. So that the Fidesz was in the center, and, and there were many splinter groups on the left, and, and one uh, political party, the Jobbik, on the right, and and uh, uh, in, until 2018, this this uh, kind of division worked and then provided a stability for the large center party, uh, and. And that it, it's a sense of that, that's an electoral mathematics. So that uh, uh, even in uh, 2014 or 2018, a united opposition may have uh, uh, reached a completely different result, a much stronger parliamentary representation, and and uh, uh, that would have uh, killed the. Uh, the supermajority of the Fidesz and, and so that I think that the next election 2022 that, that may produce a different result even if Fidesz uh, win the election uh, it is less, less likely that uh, Fidesz would reach a supermajority and then uh, that would produce a very different domestic politi politics. Uh, the, this overwhelming, robust uh, advantage within the parliament uh, may it, uh, be over, and uh, and that that will change things very much. And well, if and 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 then it's not. I would not. Exclude that that the opposition 
state win so that uh, uh, according to the public opinion uh, service that's that's possible uh, well uh, to finish, I'd like to ask every guest to recommend a book. Um, Andras, what have you chosen and why? Uh, well, I uh, chose the book written by David A. Bell. It is titled Man on Horseback. The subtitle is The Power of Charisma in the Age of Revolution. And it was published uh, in the autumn of 2020. And it's a little bit. It's a little bit connected to uh, the, the the major concept of our book, charisma. So it is a historical account of the emergence of charismatic political leaders, charismatic leaders who appear during the revolutions and freedom fights in the late 18th and early 19th century, like. Uh, Pascal Paoli, a leader of Corsican independence struggle, and then George Washington, the general of the American War of Independence, Napoleon Bonaparte, or Simon Bolivar, the liberator of Haiti. And, and so that um, it, it is, um, the, why, why it is interesting for me. For, for me, it was interesting, but it, there's some kind of irony in this. In this uh, uh, book that it is often claimed that charismatic political leaders may be dangerous to democracy. There is some kind of tension or contradiction, leadership and democracy. But the irony is that personal political leaders, charismatic leaders, ha uh, have the same origin than modern democracy. That is this late 18th, early 19th century, the age of enlightenment, the, the age of revolutions and independent wars, liberalism, democracy. Uh, on one hand, and political leadership, charismatic leadership, on the other hand, they were twin products of this age. And, and this uh, is uh, due to the fact that, that uh, uh, traditional authority, uh, monarchs, aristocracy, the church, that their authority had been undermined. And uh, that changed the relationship between ordinary people and their political leaders and this leadership so that enlightenment brought not just uh, the emergence of rationalism but also uh, uh, also, also uh, emotions and and uh, enthusiasm enthusiasm of, of, of uh, citizens so ordinary people to their own leaders and that's also so this is also the age of Emergence of personal personalized leadership. So that's that's a book of a history book. I, I like it very much. Thank you. That's an interesting choice. Um, so today I have been talking to Andras Kurosheni about his new book, The Orban Regime: Plebiscitary Leader Democracy in the Making, published in 2020 by Routledge. Andras, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Uh, thank you for the invitation. <laughs>